If you have your Bible, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 34. We'll be looking at a few verses there in a few moments. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. It's amazing when you read the Bible how many times you can read it and you can still glean something new uh, when you go back and you reread it. And many times there are books that we buy and we read and we put them on the shelf and we never read them again. I thought about, well, you know, there is one book that I probably read 50 times or more and that's Green Eggs and Ham. And when you read that book over and over and over, the message is still the same. That Sam I am, he likes those green eggs and ham. And so that's the message that you get from a book like that. And most other books that we would purchase and buy, you read once. You glean what it gives you and you put it back on the shelf or you give it to someone else. The Bible's not like that. The Bible is something that you can read from cover to cover. And then you can go back and read it from cover to cover again and you will pick up different things that the Bible wants us to learn. And the same is true with the stories that we become very familiar with, and that is that we can go back and we reread those stories over and over again, and many times we can come up with something new that we can glean from the message that God has given us. That's the power of the Gospel. And the Bible tells us that the Old Testament was written for our learning. And there's a reason for it. We don't live under that law. We don't practice that law. But it's there for a reason so that we can learn from the lessons of others that will help us to be better Christians in our service to God on a daily basis. And in Second Chronicles chapter 34, we find an example of Josiah. The kingdom of Israel had been divided, and it had been divided for a long period of time. Under the leadership of David, King David and King Solomon, the, the kingdom or the Israelites had been united. But with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the kingdoms were divided. And that had continued on and on and on. And so Josiah comes along and we see something interesting about Josiah. Keep your finger there at Second Chronicles chapter 34 and flip back over to 1 Kings chapter 13. Because I want us to see something about what God does when He prophesies something. It's going to come true, but He doesn't just give a general prophecy. You see, I've read some of uh, this Nostradamus stuff that, that tries to tell us things that are going to happen in the future. And many times it's so general, you're going to make it apply to a lot of different things. When God says something's going to happen, He's very specific. And so when you look at 1 Kings chapter 13, it says, Behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel and Jeroboam and stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Now that is roughly, or roughly 300 years before Josiah actually shows up on the scene. And I just want us to see that when God makes a prophecy, He can give a name to someone that does not even exist, and then 300 years later, someone's born and that name is given to them and they end up fulfilling this prophecy. And that's exactly what Josiah did. 
You see, he came into power at the age of eight. And at the age of 16, he began to reform and to fulfill the prophecies that had been foretold concerning him. And as you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 3 and 3 through 5, it says, And in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his fathers. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten image. If you read on down through verse 5, you can see some of the other things that he did. But you see that these priests that had offered these these, uh, things to these false gods, their bones were uh, put on the altar and they were burnt. Just like it says there in verse 5. And so Josiah begins to rebuild and restore the religion and the temple that had been neglected for so long. And during that time, I want us to notice something about what took place. During that time, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. In verse 14 it says, And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. We can go on and we can read further. I don't. It would take a lot of time to read all of those verses, but you can read those at home. But think about what it's saying here. They found the book of law. The book of law had been lost, obviously, or misplaced, or hidden somewhere where people wouldn't see it. And it's kind of amazing that they find it. I wonder if we would lose the Word of God today. How many of us would be upset today if you came in and you heard a sermon with no Scripture in it? I mentioned earlier that sometimes I read other sermons, and there's one individual that I have read that... I don't know why he's a preacher, to tell you the truth. Because I read his sermons and he has absolutely no Scripture. It's all story after story after story after story. Sometimes I think he's a comedian. And that's what he's there for. But would we be upset if there was no Bible taught while we're here to worship God? Oh, we would be upset now. We would notice real quickly if we walked in the door and all the pews were gone and there was no place to sit. We would be upset about that. And we might be upset if the overhead didn't work or the, or the flowers were gone or the lights were out. But how many of us would be upset if the Word of God was never seen in, as we worship God? If we never saw it, we never heard it. I think most of us would be upset. I would hope all of us would be upset if that was the case. But Josiah heard the words of the law and he repented and began to reinstate the religion uh, that they needed to practice because it had been neglected for some 57 years during the reign of Manasseh and Ammon. Manasseh was a very wicked and evil king. And we know that he neglected God, uh, God and what God would have him to do. And so I want us to ask ourselves, what lessons could we learn from Josiah? And the law scribe, or the law scroll. What we know about God comes through revelation. It comes through God's Word. In other words, God has revealed to you and I what He wants us to know. And I think that we need to understand that. Because many times people will say, Oh, I don't think God would be upset if I practice this. 
Oh, I think God would be all right if I lived this particular way and totally ignoring that they what the Scripture says. You know, sometimes you hear that and people, you show them what the Bible says, well, yeah, but I think God's all right with it. I always wonder, how do we know what God is all right with? The only way we know what God's all right with is through the Bible, through what God's Word tells us. And so it doesn't matter what I feel or what I think or what I'm ignorant of. God's law still stands, and that's what we are expected to be obedient to. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, the Scripture says, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We need to understand that God's Word, God's way, is the only way. And it's the only Word that will set us free. It's the only Word that we need to adhere to. Why? Because it is from God. Holy men of God wrote or spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit moved them and they gave to us what God wants us to have. And we can read over in 1 Corinthians the second chapter, where Paul is dealing with people who, who uh, thought that they were wiser than God. And he points out that the foolishness of preaching. God uses that, that mode or that means to proclaim His Word. And so we need to understand that people sometimes substitute what they think is okay, what they feel is okay, as opposed to what God says. And the Bible says that they've become fools. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even His eternal and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. How is it that we know the power of God? How is it that you and I can understand that God, the God that we serve, is powerful? Well, I can look out into nature and I can see how God set things in order. And I know that there was something that had to have created that and made it happen. I've always said I think that it takes more faith to believe in evolution and to believe that this all just happened than it does to believe that God created all of this stuff around us. We can look at the laws of nature and we understand that something set it in order. And that was God. And when people look at those things, that should tell them that the God that we serve or the God that we know exists is real and that He is powerful. But we can choose to ignore those things, and many people in our world today have chosen to ignore the fact that all of this creation had to have come from somewhere. And it's easier to just say, well, it happened. No, there's no God involved. And then we become like we read here in Romans chapter 1, because it goes on, because that when they knew God... They glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Does that sound like our world today? 
Does that sound like the society that we live in today where people know that there's power uh, that, that, that God created? And I believe that there are scientists that believe that God created it but are afraid to say it, and, and, and so they deny that God created it, that there was some higher being that is there that made all of this thing, all these things. And when you look at man, with what man can do, you think that that just happened? God made it happen. And when you profess yourselves to be wise, wiser than God, then guess what? You become a fool. And it goes on and talks about and changes the glory of the incorruptible, uh, of the uh, uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and to creepy things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. We, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. You can go on and you can read some of the things that took place that Paul is addressing there in Rome. And he's telling them and showing them that people have turned away from God and that sin separates us from God. And that's what we need to understand. That just because we're ignorant of God's Word does not mean that we will not be held accountable to His Word. We're still going to answer to Him for the life that we lived, whether we're ignorant of the truth or not. You see, God is not like man. God created us. We don't get to create God in our image. We don't get to make God what we want Him to be. God is God, and we are His servants. You see, ignorance of God is no excuse. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and verse 21, it says, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of God that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. Josiah realized that they were still going to be held accountable for what was written in that law. They may not have heard it, they may not have understood it, but Josiah realized that they were going to be held accountable. And brethren, we need to understand that today. That people are going to be held accountable to the Word of God whether they, are, whether they have knowledge of it or whether they're ignorant of it. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is ignorance an excuse? It certainly is not. And the Bible here plainly tells us if you know God or you don't know God, you're still going to be held accountable to your life compared to His Word. And so we need to understand that we need to obey what God tells us to do. You see, if ignorance was an excuse, then wouldn't it be better to just take all the Bibles and get rid of them? If an excuse was... I mean, if it was an excuse that I don't know the Bible, so therefore I'm going to be saved, why not just have everybody throw their Bibles away and let's all remain ignorant of what the Bible teaches? Because you know what? That doesn't even make sense, does it? You can throw all the laws of the land. You, you, know, you might get a copy of your local ordinance. You can throw them out the window. But when the Lord or the ordinance officer comes to your house, guess what? You're going to be held accountable to those ordinances. 
And the same is true with God's Word. And here's another point. If ignorance was an excuse, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why was it necessary for Jesus to go through that ordeal if ignorance was an excuse that was going to save your soul? You see, ignorance is no excuse. The question is, how does one lose the book of the law? The same way we can lose it today. Through neglect. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again what it be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. The writer here in Hebrews is trying to tell us that there is a point where we need to be maturing. We need to be growing as a Christian. And we need to get to the point where we can teach other people and lead other people to Christ. And he's telling us that don't get back into that point where you have to go back and review. You should mature. You should grow. And we can find other passages of the Scripture that shows us that we should, as Christians, mature. We shouldn't have to go back and and hear the first principles all over again because we've forgotten them. We need to have that in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which is at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? How can we lose that salvation? Through neglect. How sad it would be to find out on the day of judgment when you stand there that you're lost and it's because you neglected what you knew you were supposed to do. We can also look at other reasons that it's quite possible that it was hidden. If somebody decided that we don't like this, and we, this is contrary to what we want to do, so we're going to take God's Word and we're going to hide it. That way people won't know what it says and they can't confront us with the truth. And so let's just take it and hide it. Maybe that's what the priest did. Just put it up on a shelf somewhere where no one would ever find it again. And then they would, it would be ignored. Is that possible today? You can read in the Bible where people find uh, Scriptures. You can find where someone took their pen knife and cut out Scriptures. Threw it in the fire. You see where people don't want to hear God's Word. But we're still going to be held accountable to that Word. Whether it's through neglect or just putting it away so that we don't see it. So we're not confronted by the truth. But notice where the law was found. It was found in the house of the Lord. Can the book of the law, the law that we follow, the New Testament, be lost in the house of the Lord today? As I mentioned earlier, we would be upset if we came in and there was a pew or two missing. What happened to it? Where did it go? Oh, that would be the talk of the congregation. What happened to it? In fact, if some of these items that are up here were gone, we would wonder where they went. And some people wouldn't be happy until they investigated and they figured that out. But what if there was no message? If there was no message from God's Word in our sermon or in our lesson or as we assembled around the table? Do we want God's Word? Can we lose it? I want you to think about this also. 
Christ lives in you. He lives in me. God lives in me. The Bible says the Spirit lives in me. Now, if they live in me, shouldn't the Word of God also be in me? And if I'm not living like I'm supposed to be living, have I lost the Word of God in my life? Think about that. Which is worse? Losing it or not using the book of the law? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 42, beginning. It says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. I could understand why people would want to be ignorant of God's Word. Because when we know God's Word and we fail to do it, guess what? There's going to be a price to pay. Now that doesn't mean that excuse is going to, or ignorance is going to save you, because it's not. But when we know what the Bible teaches and we are not living it, we're not practicing it, then there's a problem in our lives. So which is worse, to lose it or to have it and not use it? The Bible tells us again to study. We need to study God's Word. Why is it important to study? Because if Christ is going to live in me and God's going to live in me and that Spirit's going to live in me, we need God's Word in us because that's the only way that they can live in us. And so it's very important that we have the Word of God in our lives and in use in our lives. You see, we must do according to what is written. Listen to what it says in Second Chronicles chapter 34, and verse 21. Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for them that are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. God wants us to do what's right. Josiah understood what God wanted. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. We can find an example of someone who knew what God said, knew what God wanted, but yet he chose to do something else. Saul was told to go and utterly destroy the nation. He kept the cat or kept the animals and brought back the best he claimed. But listen to what Samuel says when he confronts Saul. Samuel saith, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. 
he brought all these animals back to sacrifice to God, but Samuel says, God didn't tell you to do that. God told you what to do and you failed to do it. And obedience is more important than all the sacrifices that you're going to offer. And today is the same. Obedience to God is important. You say, well, I give and I do all of these things. I sacrifice. Are you doing it the Lord's way? 2 Samuel chapter 6 is another good example. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, And again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people that were with him unto Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahoi, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manners of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. So think about that for a moment. They're going to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Jerusalem. That's the plan. They've got it, and now they're all out in front of it, and they're all happy, and they're having a good time. They're joyous because of what's taking place. They're just having a fun, a happy, joyous occasion. And then listen to what happens. Verse 6, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand of the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Here they are. They're having a good time. They're bringing home the ark. They're doing all these wonderful things. They're having a joyous time. They're celebrating, and God had to go and ruin it. Think about that. Isn't that the way we think today? I'm doing what I want and I'm having a good time and God has to go and spoil it. I've actually had people tell me when they read the Bible that God doesn't want them to have any fun. God wants you to have fun. He wants you to enjoy this life. But He wants you to do what's right. And God didn't spoil the joy of that occasion. They knew how they were supposed to transport that ark. They knew what they were supposed to do. And it wasn't supposed to be on a new cart. It was supposed to be carried by certain individuals. And they violated God's law, God's way, and there was a price that had to be paid. In Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15, 
And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, <clears throat> as the camp is set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come and bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. If you read the rest of that chapter that we, we were looking at, where God struck us a day, when they carried it like they were supposed to, they went just a few paces and then they offered a sacrifice to God. It made it all the way back to Jerusalem. Why? Because they followed what God had directed. They followed what God said. And brethren, when we follow what God says, God is pleased. And it doesn't matter how happy and joyous you may feel about what you're doing, if it's contrary to God's will, God is not happy. He may not strike us dead today like He did with Ananias and Sapphira, but that does not mean that we've gotten away with violating God's law. We can find in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, God had instructed Noah on how to build the ark. How big, how wide, how tall, how, uh, uh, how high, wide, and tall, or length that it was supposed to be. Told him to pitch it within and without. Told him how many windows and doors to put in it. There's one. Told him what animals would go in. As Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, it says, And thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Brethren, you and I are here today because Noah did exactly what God told him to do. He didn't deviate. He did what God said. And as a result of that, God was pleased. And so we can see examples when people disobey God and He's told them how to do something. He's upset when they don't do it the right way. We see examples where people have been told by God what to do and they do it His way. And we see how they are rewarded. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus is telling us that if we want to go to heaven, and I'm assuming that's why we're here today, we want to go to heaven, then we have to do the will of our Father which is in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience <clears throat> by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Is obedience important? Jesus said it was. The writer of Hebrews says it is. God's Word shows us that it is. Why have God's Word at all if we don't have to obey it. You might remember in the good old days when you could go to a restaurant and they had this thing that they called a buffet. You remember those days? Haven't seen one of those in several months. But it would be good to see one. But remember when they had those buffets and you could go in there and there was a plate either on your table or at the end of the buffet and you could grab a plate and you could go through the line and you looked over here and you said, oh, I'll take some green beans or I'll take some mashed potatoes. Oh, 
Brussels sprouts? No, I don't think so. A broccoli? No, I don't think so. And you can just load up on the stuff that you like. You got to pick and choose. If you liked it, you took it. If you didn't like it, you left it. That's the way some people are when it comes to following God's Word. There's some things we like and we take those things. There's some things we don't like and we leave those behind. Sort of like that smorgasbord buffet. Pick and choose. That's not what God wants us to do. We have to do the will of the Father all the time and in every area. That's our desire. We're striving for that because we want to serve our Lord. God honors those who have a humble heart. And Josiah had a humble heart. In Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse, beginning of verse 26, it says, And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. Because thy heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and did rend thy clothes, and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will do, or that I will bring unto this place, and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. What is happening here? Israel, or those individuals that have violated God's law, they were going to be punished. You don't get to sacrifice to idols and, and have God be happy with it. They were going to be punished and there was going to be some evil that, that came upon them. But God said to Josiah, because you have humbled your heart, because you, you want to do what's right, you're not going to see it. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. You're going to die before this takes place. God spared him from seeing what was going to happen as a result of their evilness. Brethren, we live in a sinful world today. God was patient and forgiving with Josiah. God will be patient and forgiving of those who will humble themselves and submit to God's will. As Christians, we realize that we sin. And as Christians, we need to understand that we need to make that confession to God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive us as Christians if we will ask His forgiveness and turn away from that sin. Don't keep doing it. Turn away from it. And God loves us that much that He will allow us that second chance and third chance and so on and so forth if we will take care of it the way that He has prescribed. As someone who is not a Christian, how you respond makes a big difference. When you are a Christian and you sin, it makes a big difference on how you respond to the mistakes that you make. The Bible tells us that God has a plan of salvation. 
Because you see, we can lose the book. We can lose that valuable Bible that God has given to us. We can ignore it or we can listen to it. We can neglect it or we can hide it away. But God has given us a plan that we as people must be obedient to. And if you're not a Christian, God has a plan of salvation that plainly is stated in His New Testament. That's for you and I to be obedient to if we want to have heaven as our home. And so we can lose that book and we can ignore God's plan because you hear that today. Pray this prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. Show me in the Bible where it says that. Show me where Peter said on the day of Pentecost, invite Jesus into your heart. Pray this prayer. I've always said that if there was ever a time that that would have been convenient to say, it would have been when there was about 3,000 souls to be baptized on that occasion. Peter didn't say that, did he? What did Peter say? He said the same thing that we read about in all the other plan that God has. And the Bible plainly tells us that He has a plan of salvation. And the first part of that is to hear. We have to hear His Word. We've got to hear the Gospel. In Romans chapter 10, and verse 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In John chapter 8, and verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's nothing else that can save our soul. The truth is the only thing that can set us free. You can make up something that sounds good. There's a lot of false doctrine out there that sounds good, but it's false doctrine. It's not going to save your soul. There's only one thing that can make you free. Free from sin. Free from the bound of Satan. Bound for heaven. And that's the truth of God's Word. We need to believe that truth. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John tells us, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Imagine all the things that Jesus did in His short period of life while He was here on this earth. If all of those things were recorded, we wouldn't be able to carry it around with us. But God has made sure that we know what we need to know in order to know that Jesus Christ is His Son. So He made it possible that we could believe And then we need to repent of our sin as it tells us in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then again in Romans chapter 10, in verse 10, the Bible tells us, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We can do those things today. Jesus says, If we deny deny Him before man, He'll deny us before His Father. But if we confess Him before men, He'll confess us before His Father which is in heaven. And so we need to make that great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Are we saved at that point? No, God says that we still need to be baptized into Christ. As the Bible teaches us, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Galatians 3 and verse 27 talks about that we are baptized into Christ. That's the only way that we can get into Christ. We don't believe into Christ. We don't repent into Christ. We don't confess into Christ. We are baptized into Christ. And that's water baptism that we must adhere to. And that's exactly what Peter said on the day of Pentecost when they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
He said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We see that they heard the Word and they believed it. They needed to turn from their sin and they needed to be baptized into Christ. Maybe that's the condition you find yourself in today. Jesus also tells us that we must be faithful. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, He said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. If living the Christian life costs you your life, then you need to be willing to pay that price. <clears throat> we must be faithful until we die. When we leave this world, and then we can hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, if we've been faithful. What's your attitude toward the Word of God? Is it something that you want to adhere to? Something that you want to obey? Or is it kind of treated as it's just a suggestion on how I live my life? Don't treat it like it's a suggestion because it's the only thing that can set us free. And so this morning, you can be free if you're not a Christian, become one by following God's plan of salvation. You can do that while together we stand and sing by coming up here on the front row.